Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello and welcome to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona where we help build businesses and connect you with the right people. And Alberto Esparza and I have had a chance to talk for maybe 30 minutes already. Aside from our LinkedIn connection, and I feel like we've become fast friends, I'm very much looking forward to uh, introducing our listeners and our viewers to who you are and what you're doing with iRise Foundation. So welcome to the studio. I appreciate that. Yeah, so fun. So Alberto is the founder for iRise Foundation, which we're going to have an opportunity to talk a lot about today and uh, the great work that you're doing there and how fresh and new it is. Uh, and then I also am very curious for you to share your background and why, sure. why you are the right one for this this uh, this charge and this mission. So, Alberto, if you'd introduce yourself and then just give us your, you know, a background. We've got 30 to 45 minutes, so <laughs> we, we're not in any rush. Feel free to tell us as much or as little as you'd like us okay. to Okay. Once again, my name is Alberto Esparza, and I was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. I was raised by my grandma. She adopted me at probably about age one. And I lived with her throughout her, until she passed away back in uh, 1994. She was about 90 years old, but very in, instrumental in my life. Uh, she taught me a lot. Um, how I got to live with her was that her husband had passed away, my grandma. My grandfather asked my mom if she would be willing to give me to my grandma because she was all alone. My mom tells the story that she was reluctant to do that, but she ended up giving me to my grandma so my grandma wouldn't be alone. And I knew my grandma as my mom throughout the years. And I knew I had a mother, but I didn't see her as a mother. I saw her more as an aunt. Mm -hmm. But my grandma became my mother, and I just learned a lot. I loved her tremendously. She raised me. We went to church five days a week, every day walked two to three miles to church, um, always had food on the table, clothing. And I learned a lot of my activism through her. In the area, there was a lot of homeless folks out there, and I would see her every morning making red chili, bean burritos, so on and so forth. And she would go out in the community and feed the homeless. And she would feed the homeless on a tray. And these homeless were getting food on a tray, and she would make dessert. And so I learned a lot about the social activism watching her. And she always told me, one day you're going to become a leader. I had no idea what that meant. And you're going to be serving others. She was very religious, very religious. As a child, I used to fight her because we were going to church every day. We did that until I think I was about 18. So once I get into college, into college, I rarely went to church. I felt that I'd been in church so long. Some of that... my, my, many of us have done that. I did the same thing. <laughs> exactly. And they're done that. And then, of course, I found my way back. <laughs> exactly. But she was a great grandma. So I was raised by her. I have uh, three brothers, and uh, I didn't see them often. But when I saw them, you know, we would always play flag football and football, and uh, they would always pick me up. To beat me up. <laughs> of course. You're, were you the youngest then? I was the middle child, okay. but because they didn't see me regularly, they would pick me up from my grandma's house and we play football, and then they would put me through boxing drills, karate drills, oh, and I ended no. up going to the hospital constantly. But uh, I had a great family. Once my grandma was no longer with me, I rekindled my relationship with my parents. 
I got to know my mom really, really well. She apologized to me because she felt that she felt uncomfortable by the fact that she gave me to her mom, my grandma. But we reconciled that, and I just told my mom that I really loved you, and it was great that I had an opportunity to rekindle that relationship. She passed away, uh, I believe, about 12 years ago. She passed away in my arms. My dad passed away in my arms. My grandma passed away in my arms, and I told my family, that's enough. I'm not going to take care of any more of the family members because it was a big responsibility, and it was tough. But that's me growing up in South Phoenix, living in the most at-risk communities where there was a high incidence of gang violence and drugs. I ended up going to Dunbar Elementary School, and it was predominantly an African-American school. I was the only Latino there. And that's where I got to learn a little bit about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I really got involved in plays. I really got involved in the public speaking. And I would mimic Dr. King in plays. And and I really loved that. When I went to the eighth grade, I went to Grant Elementary School, was predominantly Hispanic. And that's where I got to learn about the United Farm Workers Union and Cesar Chavez. And I really got involved in the movement. I really learned a lot. So when I got to high school, I went to Phoenix Union High School. That is where I began to get involved in some of the the social causes. And I thought I found myself. This is what I wanted to do. Of course, I played all the sports that you can imagine. And uh, when I got to Phoenix College, I got involved in a club called Mecha, socially conscious, very active in the community. And it's funny how I got involved with them. I was walking in the library one day, and there was a Vietnam veteran, and he asked me, hey, buddy, are you involved in the community? I didn't understand that question. And he would always come up to me, no matter where I was in the cafeteria, why aren't you involved? When are you going to get involved? And so he pressured me to go into a Mecha meeting, and I loved it. I saw these young Latinas uh, speaking very eloquently about community service, social engagement, Cesar Chavez, and the movement. And then where I really got involved was I was at um, the Phoenix College. And so Mitchell students decided that they were going to do a picket in front of the dean's office. So they asked me to join. I had seen this on television where the college students were whisked away to jail. (laughs) (laughs) I never had experienced that, but we were there. We wanted more Latino educators at Phoenix College. And so we sat in and um, we were whisked away. And I'm saying, oh my God, you know, but that was the times is to really get back to the community, get involved. You had a lot of um, Vietnam veterans coming back from the military. They were older. They were at the community college using the GI Bill. And they were really trying to get more Latinos to get involved in the boycotts and Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So I got involved in that. And um, I got involved in every activity you can mention that was sponsored by the Mecha Club. I even got involved in Greenpeace and Save the Seals and you name it. So my activism, my community service really began there. But I can honestly say it began maybe even earlier with my grandma. For sure. Because, um, man, I loved her to death. I still think about her. And what's ironic, Karen, is that as I get older, I began to feed the homeless, too. So every Friday in Chandler on Arizona Avenue and Pecos at the Circle K, me and some grandmas, we get together and we 
make burritos and we passed them out. And I've come full circle. For sure. That I never thought in my life that I would be doing that. But but when I was in college, I went on to Arizona State University and I met a gentleman or a student by the name of Ben Miranda. He was a law student, very active at Arizona State University, recruiting Latinos to go to law school. He had befriended me and he liked me a lot. And so he kept pursuing me to go into law school. But I didn't think I had the ability to do that, you know. And uh, I ended up going into the Department of Education, majoring in education and social work, hence social yes. <laughs> activists. So um, I didn't see Ben for the longest time. My first job was um, a probation officer, Maricopa County, because I grew up in South Phoenix and the at-risk communities. I was assigned the gang caseload, and I was working with about maybe about 100 and some gang members. So I was doing that for maybe five years, and then I got a job with the U.S. Probation and Parole. I didn't like it anymore, Karen. I really didn't like it anymore because I was doing pre-sentence reports. Pre-sentence reports are just nothing but writing and investigating and that sort of thing, and I wasn't happy. I was just doing, like, research papers. Not not with people. Not with people. Just research paper constantly, the deadline. So I resigned as the U.S. Probation and Parole. And then I got on the board of directors of Chicanos por la Casa. And, and that was how many years ago? Oh, my God, 40 years that's ago. That's what you shared off air. You that's know, incredible. 40 years ago. And Pete Garcia was the president and CEO. And he invited me to sit on the board. That's where I really learned social engagement, nonprofit world, serving others. And so... Could, um, could we, for our listeners who are not familiar with uh, Chicano Por La Causa, could you give a, a brief description as to who who they are and how they serve? I, I'm familiar. We already talked about yeah. our shout-out to Max Gonzalez. Yes. Uh, Chicano Por La Causa is the largest Latino nonprofit organization in the United States. It has grown so much. They serve a lot of communities. They serve a lot of states. And forgive me, I can't remember all the states that they serve, but... They're fast becoming the number one nonprofit in the United States, and now they've expanded to other countries. I know, I know they're also in the Puerto Rico, and they're also trying to establish something in Cuba as well. But they're the largest nonprofit organization, Latino-based. It is an awesome organization where even today, I'm still on the board of directors. I started as the secretary, treasurer, vice chairman. I ended up being the chairman, and then I got involved in a lot of committees. It is really active. Uh, so if anyone is interested in being involved with Chicanos Por Casa, you need to understand this. <laughs> um, you need to attend all meetings, and you need to serve on three committees. That's a prerequisite. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of travel. And um, that was the highlight of my life. And uh, I'll never forget uh, P. Garcia at the time, um, prior to me starting the nonprofit, the Cesar Puente Foundation, he asked me if I'd be willing to go to Scottsdale. Um, Scottsdale was having some issues with the Latino community and the Latino community, non-Latino community and Latino community, so I was there to build a bridge and bring those two groups together. So I met with the city of Scottsdale folks, and uh, I volunteered out there for about three years. This is mid-'90s, maybe? Um, Yes, this had to be in the beginning. I would say 1994 and 1995. And so that's where the Cisa Puede Foundation began. Yes. Yeah, so speak to that. What was that foundation? What was that work? Um, well, I called it foundation without really not understanding what a foundation <laughs> meant. 
Because even then, once I started the foundation, everybody from all over were calling me and asking for me for money. Because when you say foundation, foundation usually gives out grants and scholarships and so on. But I started Cesar Pérez Foundation there. And how I started it was I would tell the community that you can learn English. It's very easy. And they said, well, I can't. No puedo. No puedo. And I said, si se puede. You can learn it. And so that's where the name was coined there. But the name never belonged to me. It belongs to the United, uh, the UFW, United Farm Workers Union. So I had a relationship with the United Farm Workers Union. And Karen, I didn't say this, but I was a bodyguard to Cesar Chavez in the late 1990s. So that's where I even gained more knowledge about service through him. Man, I love Cesar Chavez. He embraced all of us. We went through training on nonviolent training and that sort of thing, and we got involved in a lot of uh, boycotts and you name it. I mean, it was uh, the best time of my life. We never got paid for anything, but, but I wanted to do it because I wanted to be next to him, and I would look at him in awe. And he was um, diminutive and spoke very softly, but when he spoke, you understood what he was talking about. He always talked about service and how important the service was and being involved. He, was, he would ask us the same question, are you involved? Why aren't you involved? When are you going to get involved? And he felt that it was important that all of us take ownership of what's happening in the community. So that's where I really, truly learned the social engagement. And, um, but getting back to ASU, and mm -hmm. I apologize for going back no, and forth. No, no, that's what we're here to do. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Ben Miranda, he was one of my mentors, and I met him years ago, and he was the one that introduced me to the Cesar Chavez and the United Farm Workers Union, and that's where the name Si Se Puede came, because Si Se Puede is trademarked by the United Farm Workers Union. And a funny story about that, Karen, is that, that I originally had the name CSEP with it, and I could have trademarked it. But being a disciple of Cesar Chavez and the United Farm Workers Union, I gave it to yeah. the United Farm Workers Union. You know, and I look back on it <laughs> and say, whoa. Right. <laughs> had I known. <laughs> had I known. But I think that was an appropriate thing to do. But Ben Miranda, an attorney, well-known attorney, mm -hmm. activist in Phoenix, got me involved in social engagement, got me involved with the United Farm Workers Union. And uh, we became close friends. He passed away a few years back, and it was a big loss to our community. I believe that if he would have lived, he would have been the next Cesar Chavez because um, he was just a great man, a giving man. We all cried when he passed away because it was a big loss to the community. So my journey in the nonprofit world began in Scottsdale. I was working for a program called the Impact SPC. They're a behavioral health program. So. They hired me. They hired me at $16,000. I was making $85,000 prior. And I took that because I loved being in the community. I felt that was my passion. This is what the Lord wanted me to do. I believed that I was an instrument of the Lord and I needed to be there. So, like, I was there in that community. That community is in Scottsdale called Minnesota, which is north of 68th Street in Camelback. And it was a community that was really having some issues with the non-Latino community. At one meeting, I heard uh, the non-Latino community call the Latino pigs. Mm. And I didn't get upset, but I tried to break down the walls of divided community and brought people to the table of 
racial understanding and harmony. Where I was successful is that I taught Spanish to the Latino community. I taught English to the Latino community, and we were able to build a bridge. And then one of the things that we started to do was have cleanup days. And the cleanup days really brought both communities closer. You have to think is that 68th Street in Minnesota, there's a lot of apartment complexes out there. So a lot of the managers were, they had about six families living in a one apartment bedroom. Mm. And so when I got there, I basically spoke to the media, media came in out, and then we began to expose the managers. The owners really didn't know what was happening. So the managers would send one rent and keep the remaining rents in their pocket. Karen, it was cockroach infested. There were so many things happening wrong to that community. So it was a blessing that I was asked to go there because I started to expose the managers and the owners of those complexes, and we began to make things better. And I was there for three years. There was a vacant pool there that kids would play around on a regular basis, six foot. You saw the little kids babies playing around that pool. I went to the city of Scottsdale and asked them we needed to submit that. Mm -hmm. And that's where my first office was. He said, but it was there, right there. How about that? That's where I taught English. And uh, I didn't have any money. I taught the kids how to dance, by the Flacotico. Like I would watch it on television and come back and learn it. I had no choice. I started youth soccer programs. We did a mural. We did a mural there. We had the Virgin Mary there. And the reason why I wanted the Virgin Mary, because I knew that the community would not deface that wall that was right next to the pool. And it was a blessing. So one day I got a call to go to Mesa Public School District. And I was at a crossroads. I love this community. I didn't want to leave the community. But I knew for growth I had to leave it. So once the community got wind that I was leaving, they did a fiesta farewell, and we had a stage out there. And it was heartbreaking to leave that community, but I knew I had to leave. And so I got into the Mesa Public Schools, Mesa Vista, which was alternative school out there. I started work with that, and then I kept expanding. I kept bringing in dance programs, youth soccer programs, a scholars program, college-bound program. With no monies, I was doing this basically for free. I had exhausted all my savings. I think I exhausted more than $100,000. I was flat broke. I was living in a vacant office, and I had no vehicle, but I was walking to school district to school district because I was on a mission. I couldn't quit, Karen. I thought if I quit, it would have killed me Hmm. because I never would have known what the final outcome would have been. I knew that I was success, but, yeah, like I slept in a vacant office, and I never told my family this, and... uh, they're basically starting to learn who I am and what I've gone through. It was a difficult journey, but I served the public schools very well in Mesa, and I provided a um, youth soccer program, had over 1,000 kids, the dance programs, and I was working with uh, the most at-risk kids who were heavily involved in gangs. Mm-hmm. And... They bought into what I was talking about. Then we became an organization of service in the very beginning. Um, I was Charlie Follow, the Cesar Chavez movement of service. So I brought that to them. And uh, we began to do cleanups and um, remove the graffiti from walls. And we had dances once a week where the kids understand that they had to come in 
and but they couldn't wear gang garb. They had to pick up their pants, comb their hair, remove their hair nets, and come in, and then they would come in. And I'll never forget that uh, we were charging like a quarter. We were trying to raise money. This one little kid, one of the most at risk, one of the most at risk kids in the public schools, came to me with his girlfriend. Very cute kids, and uh, he gave me a food stamp, and I, <laughs> I still have that food stamps framed. And he bought into it, and uh, he actually completed school and went on to college. Wow. Became an architect, but. Yeah, I love the community. I invested a lot of time. And then and then I got a call to Chandler, Anderson Junior High. The principal asked me if I was willing to come out and speak to the kids who are most down, most at-risk kids. And I said yes. And uh, so I left Mesa. Oh, my God, it was so difficult. Uh, the principals were heartbroken. and But I left to Chandler because I saw a potential grant. Many years after I started, the foundation, I had zero dollars. I didn't know how to write a grant. And I hand wrote my first grant to United Way. Let me tell you, Karen, it was a difficult conversation on that day. <laughs> but I did the best I could, and I didn't get it. And I call a police officer who was part of that committee stood up and said, listen, I know he has some challenges, <laughs> but we got to give him an opportunity. We got to give him a grant, so I was given twenty-five thousand dollars, and I made that twenty-five thousand dollars last for so a year. Squeeze every bit of it out of there. Mm-hmm. Once I went to to Chandler, I began to kind of do the same thing I did in Mesa. I was trying to serve two communities, Mesa and Chandler, at the same time, going on bus transportation, mm-hmm. going from one bus to another. Years into the Chandler movement, I came across an organization called. Social Venture Partners Arizona. Sure. Are you familiar with I am them? very familiar. They had to reach out to me. Karen, how they found me, I had no idea, but they reached out to me. And I was very stubborn. I wanted to do it my way. They were talking about OCATs. I, I, I didn't have an understanding of all this evaluation process. I was not even thinking about doing a nonprofit that way. But um, they kept after me, and then they took me to dinner, and they wanted to bring me in. And Karen, honestly, that began... My mentors, they brought me in. They gave us $25,000 a year. They gave us board development training. We had some funding. I had a CPA. But because of them, I owe a lot to them because I was difficult, Karen. I wanted to do it my way. They wanted to introduce me to different processes and, and, you know, strategic planning. (laughs) But they hung in there with me. And after a couple of years, I finally understood what they were trying to do. Was it a three-year commitment back then? Because I know it is it now. It was a five-year commitment. Five, well, maybe, maybe it is five years. It was a five-year So commitment. I serve on the board for Treasures for Teachers, okay. and they were just named an investee, uh, I think it's been maybe four months ago. And then the McIntosh family, Scott McIntosh, who owns Max 6, which is where our studio is located, he and his wife are members of the Social Venture Partners, along with several business uh, constituents that I know that I hang out with and super impressed with how those folks show up and, and their, their give back to our community. Yeah. You know, Karen, they loved me a lot. They understood I was difficult in the beginning, that I wouldn't change. I didn't want to change. I was very successful my way in the community, but not successful in the business sense. So they helped bridge that gap a little. They helped bridge that gap. Yeah. You know, so after a couple of years of uh, dialogue, <laughs> lunches, <laughs> 
we finally came to an agreement that, okay, Alberto, this is the best way for you to move the organization forward. And I bought into it, and I still, I still tell everyone without them, I would be in search of a social venture partners Arizona, and they do so much good work. And uh, I did a podcast not too long ago, and it was called the Ten Life Lessons, and I talked about them being instrumental. So they actually saw that and they reached out to me, and um, so That's we're back. Fantastic. Yeah, we're back again. So in Chandler. I was there. In the beginning, I brought in soccer and dance programs, but I came across First Lego League. First what? First Lego League, which okay. is the entry level of uh, engineering for STEM. Okay. And First Lego League, I came across a high school instructor from the Chandler High School who wanted to partner with me, and he had a high school robotics teams but I didn't know why he wanted to partner with me. He assumed because I had foundation, I had all this money <laughs> to help them with right. <laughs> the purchase of robotic equipment and the $5,000 they needed for the entry fee. So we chatted. So then I created a dinner, annual dinner, to raise money for a STEM program. So I probably had invested over $100,000 to the Chandler High School Robotics, even though we could have used the money in the community for other type of things. But, uh, but I saw the vision of robotics. I saw the impact on our community, especially the title of one schools that didn't have STEM. Mm -hmm. And then the Latino community, because I'm working with the title of one schools in Chandler. And, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with Chandler. There's a high Latino community out mm -hmm. there in the title of one school. So I went to Galveston Elementary School. I was working with five kids. And we went to a... Um, a competition from first Lego League. So we actually built a robot. We coded that robot to complete the missions for that scenario for that year. And uh, we actually won the judges award, which basically said, your robot is not that good. However. <laughs> <laughs> However, the kids had great potential because they were able to answer the judges' questions. And part of engineering is not only the fabrication and coding, but how you respond to the questions. And, you know, during those interviews, the judges got to see the heart of these kids and their willingness to learn, and they all thought they were going to become engineers. As a matter of fact, my first team, a lot of those kids actually became engineers. Incredible. Which, you know, if you provide them the materials and they all have the ability to learn. So, so in Chandler, I just kept creating and creating and creating all these robotics teams, and I created a high school team uh, first team was called the Binary Bots, which was a mix of boys and girls. And once again, we competed in the first first robotics, which was specifically for high school team. We didn't do very good, <laughs> but we won the uh, Inspiration Award because we were on the community promoting STEM to the elementary, junior high, high school in the community. And I had and I had all the kids in the program doing a lot of community service. So we actually went to a national program, a competition, so we competed there once again. We didn't do very well, but the kids actually were exposed to a lot of young people from different countries. So I kept building high school programs. I like to thank the Chandler Unified School District because without them, like I would not have the success. Right. And I'll say the same thing, without them, I'm a nonprofit in search of a Chandler Unified School District. So 
I kept expanding my stem. Last year, I became very ill. And, um, well, a couple of years prior, Karen, I became very ill. I had prostate issues, and I didn't realize I had cancer. I was seeing a urologist. I don't know. He didn't catch it, but he just gave me medications. I didn't know what was going on. I was bleeding. Frightening. I was urinating. Just, you know, it was so uncomfortable. I was sleeping on the, the floor because, you know, like I didn't want to soil the bed, so I was sleeping on the floor, and my family would all say, why are you on the floor? I said, well, I got these. I feel really good on the floor. I said my back was not well, and one day I took myself to emergency, and uh, thank God I did. Uh, it was there that they identified something was wrong. Uh, my prostate was protruding, and I didn't realize that. So went to emergency, and then, um, quite honestly, I thought that I was going to pass away. This that, was 2019? That was during the COVID years. Okay, so 2020. Yeah. yeah recently. <laughs> yeah, that was during the COVID years. Yeah, they couldn't wow. find a bed at the hospital because oh, right. of COVID patients. And anyway, so it was there that they discovered that I had to go to the hospital. And so I was at the hospital and uh, very uncomfortable. And uh, so I had an operation. And I'll never forget the doctor when I saw him. He was like maybe four foot eight <laughs> coming to me, and I thought that was a child. He says, well, I'm your doctor. I go, mm. you can't. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> I want to see an older doctor, oh, please. No. <laughs> he says, Alberto, I'm here to take care of you. And so he was a blessing. And after that, I had a couple more operations. I kept going into the hospital because I had all these blood clots. In December, I decided that was the end the end, uh, that I wanted to retire and, and, um, this last December, 2022, 20, 20, 21. No, sorry, 21. Yes. 21. I, I know where we are on the calendar. 21. So yes. uh, 10 months ago. Yes. So I retired and I was at home and, uh, were you still thinking at this point, Alberto, that, you know, this, I'm just going to, I'm just going to fade peacefully or in pain. <laughs> I but thought wait, the worst. Yeah. Every time I saw the doctor, I would hang on every word he was saying. You know, I was just, he says, Alberto, I know what you want me to say. I was hanging on every word. And he wouldn't say it. Being hopeful, no. You know, and I talk about the Lord was very instrumental in my life at one point prior. And like I had reached out to the Lord and I had given up on him. And I basically said, I'm done, Lord. I'm done praying because... I'm doing your will, but I didn't see any intervention on your part to help me. And uh, that that evening, be before I went to sleep, I was reading that poem on footsteps where he was right behind you. And in my dream, he basically said, you're never alone. I was always with you. And that was the impetus that I needed to to get back. And, and uh, of course, my family wasn't too happy with that, but Karen, I needed the community more than the community needed me. Your family wasn't happy with you saying, I'm going back in the ring. <laughs> different, in a different manner. In a different manner. But they know. want, but they wanted you to slow down and to, to ease into whatever was next for you. And it was and in their mind it wasn't work. They wanted me to slow down and appreciate what I gave back to the community. I've mm. given them everything. Mm -hmm. Have you and, incorporated that piece into it now with what you're doing so that you are working, you're being of service? We'll talk about I, uh, I Rise. I Rise. Uh, and since your surgeries and your cancer experience, how are you different now when you're showing up with I Rise? 
Or are you? Yes, I think I'm a lot different because I'm caring for myself more so than ever before. Prior to that, I wasn't. <laughs> Good, yes. Um, I, I, I hear you. You know, I was diabetic. I didn't eat the right foods. I didn't take all my prescriptions and many times. And so a lot of issues were happening. But uh, this year, I started iRise Foundation, and it was geared to the Native American community because I had developed a strong relationship with the Native American community for the past five years. But I wanted to do something very different and very unique. So I'm working at Skyline Gila River, which is 100% Native American, St. Peter Indian Mission School, which is 100% Native American. And still geared around STEM education? STEM education. Mm -hmm. So Skyline actually asked me if I wanted to volunteer and teach STEM during the day. So I teach a class on STEM from 9.30 to 11.30, which is uh, first Lego League kind of thing. And then... Mm -hmm introducing them to the underwater robotics. Um, but it's a beautiful community, rich in traditions. Um, so I have termed a culture of gold dedicated to the Native American community. And it's a beautiful community, rich in traditions, customs, folklore, the many languages that they speak, and the beautiful elders who have maintained the history generation of generation. So... So I remind these kids that they have a culture of gold. Mm -hmm. And every time I'm, I'm on campus, they now believe it because I'm saying, hey, what do you have? And they say, Mr. E, I got a culture of gold. I said, yes, you have a culture of gold, beautiful culture. So I've been doing a lot of that. And uh, I'm very proud that this year we have two eighth grade teams going into first Lego League. People ask me, well, how do you do it? It's yeah. relationship building, Karen. I'm an expert at relationship building. I go in there, I learn the culture. I always understand that I'm a guest, and that's priority. Hmm. You know, I'm not going in there on a white horse and trying to save the community, but that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And before we close, I'm not sure how far we, we have. I don't been. either. I'm so engrossed in our conversation, I'm not even paying attention. We're doing just fine. We're doing just fine? <laughs> yeah. okay. Probably about 10 more minutes. Okay, 10 I want to make minutes. sure we talk about Nogales as yes, well. Yes, I want to talk about mm -hmm. Nogales, which is a blessing to me. But being in the Native American community, and this year, I was able to get sponsorships to bring in Billy Mills. Are you familiar with Billy no. Mills? Billy Mills is a Native American who won gold medal in the 1964 wow. the Olympics in the, the year 10, I was 000, born. Well, so in the 10,000 meter run. And um, I had seen his movie called Running Brave about about eight times. And I watched it recently about a few months ago and I said, wouldn't it be nice to bring Billy Mills Native American gold medal winner who has a foundation helping out the Native American community. I said, it's called Running Strong. Wouldn't it be nice to bring him as a guest speaker? Mm. I love Billy Mills, but I didn't realize it was $12,000 to bring him. I love you, Billy Mills. <laughs> and, and yet. <laughs> but I was able to get Chicana Spolacasa to help out, and Skyline Gila River paid the other half, and then I was able to get some other donations. State Farm has stepped up to provide Fantastic. some popcorn and some snacks for the kids because November 4th, is he's, he's coming in, mm. and he's going to talk about his It journey. hasn't happened yet. No. And then we're going to show his movie, Running Brave, and then the kids are going to be able to meet him and wow. to take photos and get his autograph and so on and so forth, but... I'd like to thank Chicanos mm -hmm. for la Casa for stepping up to the plate and yeah. Noble. It's, uh, they're a, a public relations firm for stepping up mm -hmm. and uh, Skyline Gila River for stepping up because, because of these three 
entities were able to bring him in. Mm-hmm. So November 4th, we're bringing that, and we're hoping that he can motivate students. But I will share this. I mean, it's been blessing to be in the Native American community. They're like family to me, and I love those kids to death. Now, no gallus. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so this year, Isabel Valdez, she's in Phoenix, and she has a strong relationship with Mexico. She reached out to me on LinkedIn and I said, Mr. Sparza, can we have a virtual? I would like to bring you in to Nogales, Mexico, and to work with a school. She said a school. (laughs) (laughs) Now, A means one, correct? Correct. A school. I said, sure. I've always thought I would end up being an international program. So we were on a virtual, and so we met the educators and the directors of those schools, and they said, Mr. Sparza, you don't understand. There's 200 schools. <laughs> From one to 200. <laughs> and after I fainted, I got myself on and said, oh, my God, I didn't realize that. But, yeah, so in January, the IRISE Foundation and then the Eco Robotic and Aspiring the Children, these are the three nonprofits that are working together mm-hmm. and will be delivering a comprehensive STEM program to all these schools. 200 schools 200 in schools, Mexico. Yes. But we're also going to the Philippines, Karen, in June to work out, to work with an, an orphanage. This is what I wanted to do, Karen. When I when I started the nonprofits organization back in 93, I envisioned myself doing the work of International. Mother Teresa. Yes. And if you you see my LinkedIn page, Mother Teresa is mm-hmm, my hero. Mm-hmm. So I try to pattern my life after her. And uh, so now, be careful what you ask for. Yes. But I am so excited. My board of directors are very happy. My community is happy that I'm reaching out to Mexico. And um, um, it's a challenge, but I know we can do it. Once I get there, then I will be heading out to the universities to meet college students and try to bring them then to the stakeholders. So we're very excited. So the IRISE Foundation is moving in the right direction. We've been in existence for about six months. We don't have no. our EIN number, Not yet. but we got a fiscal agent um, who is responsible for any dollars coming in, and uh, it's been a blessing. Uh, the fiscal agent is named Cultural the Coalition, who has adopted us, and uh, I couldn't find a fiscal agent for the life of me, but they stepped up, Excellent. and they decided to help us out, and uh, they're a fiscal agent, so anybody that want to donate, um, you know, we have to send the money to Cultural Coalition. And then they distribute according to what the donor wants the money to go to. So they have a big responsibility too. But you know, but it's worked out very well for us. And, and in the process of establishing the five hundred one c three, when the timing is right, and, and getting all the things in that go moving in that direction. Yeah, uh, we're working on our website. I can't wait for it. It's phenomenal photos right now. We're working on a new Facebook page. Our, our, our board of directors is pretty awesome. I'm very impressed with what we have. Now, and, uh, you know, I mean, I didn't realize that I was going to start over again. I didn't have that war chest of dollars to get all this rolling. And I tell people, oh, my God, I've come full circle from the very beginning. I'm back to the same same place I was uh, 40 years ago, but I love it. And uh, before I leave, I like to quote a poem that I tell people, I think about death, but not in a morbid sense. I want people to learn a little bit about my existence. And it's called 
100 years from now. Did you, you make it? Is, it's not your poem, but... It's not my Okay, poem. 100 years from now? Yeah. Do you have it memorized? Pretty Ish. much, but I changed some of the <laughs> yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. You'll share it with us? Yeah. The author is unknown. So uh, it's called 100 Years Ago. Yeah. 100 Years From Now. It won't matter what type of home I lived in, what type of car I drove, how much money I had in the bank. But the world may be a little bit better because I was important in the life of a child. And I've told my closest friends, you never know if I'm going to be here tomorrow or the next day. I have had some health issues that I'm still dealing with today. But I think being back in the community, you know, Karen, I needed the community so desperately. Without them, I probably couldn't survive. And the community was calling me constantly. I have strong relationships in the community. When I was at home, I was thinking the worst. I had so many schools calling me back up. When are you coming back? Um, I had kids calling me back about the dance program, the soccer program. So I'm very lucky that the Lord has given me another chance because I still have a lot of work to do. Yes, you do. And I really believe that I want to do this for the next eight years. And then I want a woman to take my place. You know why, Karen? No. Women make the best leaders. Throughout my career, <laughs> I have business relationships with so many women. I said, that's what I need. And I also need someone who is very familial mm -hmm. because I'm very familiar to the children in the community. Mm -hmm. You know, I cry and I do all that. I worry about the kids. Leadership is defined by the community. I recently say that and everybody asked me, so what do you mean? It was the, it's the community that's going to define whether or not you're a leader based on what you do in the community and how quickly you answer community needs. So when I talk about leadership, I can only speak on my program. I make it very clear that I'm a leader within my organization and the community I serve. The community is very important to me. They have embraced me as a leader because they have seen me walk beside them during some of the controversial issues in our community. And they have never seen me lead from above. Mm -hmm. So I have walked hundreds of miles in social, you know, with the social protests and that sort of thing. But I didn't want anybody to fear me because I believed that we were standing on moral ground in a lot of these issues. I never made a blanket statement. It was always for the community. I did it respectful. The cities and municipalities that know me know that Alberto Sparza has never made a blanket statement. I tried to follow what Dr. King did was bring people to the table of racial understanding and harmony. We can agree to disagree. And um, that's been my motto. But let's sit down and let's do some conflict resolution and try to see the same thing and move forward. I did that in Chandler. Years ago, the Chandler had a, a bad incident with immigration. I was a, an activist, but I was a professional activist. When we did marches, it wasn't like the marches that you see today. They're very destructive. Um, the Virgin Mary was always in front. We were always praying. This is what the Cesar Chavez had taught us. There was a nonviolent movement. And I watch the news today, and I see all the violence that is happening. And I can't imagine. This is not what we were doing back mm -hmm. in the 70s and 80s. So that's who I am. I'm a bridge builder. Tear down the walls of divide community. Bring people together. Let's talk. Let's do some conflict resolution. I did with that. I did that with the city of Mesa, the city of Chandler, and I did that with the city of Phoenix years ago. And uh, I was the one that convinced 
followers this this is the best way to go about it hmm. and so like i lived a rich life if i was gone today i would be very proud of the legacy that i left behind and now there's this whole second act that's emerging <laughs> there's a second act yeah. that's emerging and i feel very comfortable with it and just so everybody know the Cisa Puede Foundation is a great foundation, and I love them to death. And I know they're going to be doing some great things because I already see the great things that are doing. And I love the IRIS Foundation because I needed this new direction. And I need to focus on a community that really needed STEM, Native American community. And now I have an opportunity to go into other countries and provide mm-hmm. that with that there. But uh, I'm proud of what we've done. Um, my legacy speaks for itself. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask this since it's Business Radio X, right? And our listeners are professionals and uh, of all sorts of different industries um, and size of businesses. Is there, what support does iRise need from our business community, if anything? We need financial support. We barely try to eke out some resources. Mm-hmm. But without the financial support, we're still doing the work. A lot of people are impressed by that. We have a... Well, yeah. A soccer league with about 600 kids with uniforms and they're playing out there at no cost to the community the the resources that we have i mean we're we're getting by but we're still delivering but we need some help in that area and i have a fiscal agent so if anybody's interested um i can give them the name of our Please. fiscal agent. yeah you did once before but let's give them cultural a coalition mm-hmm. cultural coalition and their address is the 701 east main street in mesa 85203. There are there are fiscal agents that are responsible to make sure that the monies are going okay. however the donor feels they should go. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> uh, fantastic conversation. Uh, so honored that you made it today. I know you were not feeling great this morning and we almost, you know, you we were like, hey, maybe another time. And then I, the next email from you is, nope, I'm coming. coming. <laughs> and I was very flexible. I said I'd be happy to accommodate a, a reschedule, but I'm so pleased that we were able to make this happen today. And I'm very inspired and certainly honored that you were willing to share your story and your legacy. I, I feel like this is just this beautiful, rich conversation that your community uh, will embrace and love on and then all the folks myself included who haven't had a chance to get to know you yet this is a little glimpse into your life and it's uh it's quite quite impressive one thing i've always said is everybody asks me what my role is and i say i'm a ceo but a ceo for our organization means i throw out the trash clean the toilets and fix the roof (laughs) so if anybody's interested in my job and want to be responsible for doing that that's what a ceo does in our organization feel free to call me Love it. And how do we get a hold of you? So LinkedIn, I know that's how you and I connected, or Daryl did it on our behalf, yeah. our community manager. Thank you, Daryl. <laughs> LinkedIn is for now, and Facebook, Alberto Esparza. There are several Alberto Esparzas, but my background is Mother Teresa, uh-huh. and I look a lot younger there, so I'm going to remove that photo. <laughs> I was thinking you about like putting... You look like you. I saw it, and I, when I, I recognized you when I got into the lobby. So my number is the 520-252-9532. You can follow me on LinkedIn. You can look at the work that I'm doing on mm-hmm. Facebook mm-hmm. as well. I talk a little bit about STEM and the Native American communities and where I'm going. Follow me there. But um, we have a uh, PR firm, Novle. Oh, that's right. Novle, and it's with... The Carlos Velasco found me, and he's adopted me, so he's taking care of a lot of things that we need so mm-hmm. that the business community can find me a lot easier. 
And uh, he's working on my website right now. And Novle is spelled how? It, I believe it's spelled the N-O-V-L-E. That's how it's Yeah, Novle with Carlos Velasco, a great man who um, love him dearly for his act of kindness and the love he has shown to yeah. not only to the community, but for IRI's foundation. He has raised the $10,000 for us these past couple of weeks. And uh, but he wanted to make sure that we get our website and get all those things yes. going. And then um, so he's been instrumental in that right now. So thank you, Carlos, for everything that you do for me. And, and everybody foundation. else that you mentioned. I mean, in this, it's, in this 45-minute conversation, you've been so gracious with your appreciation for, excuse me, mentors, guides, organizations, school districts, municipalities. I think this is the single most interview I've ever done that you, while you are a leader and a beacon of light and love and communication and service, of course, you also have this incredible reciprocity that's around, like you couldn't be who you are if you didn't have community and all these people. So I, I took several notes and I think I only got maybe a third of them. Uh, this has been a true pleasure. Um, Alberto Esparza, look for uh, you on LinkedIn as well as Facebook, uh, iRise Foundation. No website yet, but it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. And I appreciate the opportunity for being on your platform. And I hope that my community will take a look at what I'm doing. You know, we are very humble. We're very honored to be here as well. Thank you so much. Great pleasure. You've been listening to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona. Some media leans left, some lean right, and we lean business and community and nonprofit and STEM and all the things that Alberto Esparza has shared with us today. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.